Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to season four, episode three of the Idea Fit Pro Show. This is Sandy Webster, Ideas Editor in Chief, and your host for the podcast. Today we're visiting with Joanne Groves, one of our brilliant friends across the pond in London, who has a lot to share with you today. Joanne is an educator, author, personal trainer, and group exercise leader, as well as an active member of the IDEA Personal Training Committee. She has served as a master trainer for Escape Fitness and presented around the globe on behalf of Faster Health and Fitness, where she is the education director for Motor Skill Application Specialist and Faster Group Specialist. Joanne is also the co-author of a research and communication course called The Three C's of Success, as well as another course focused on becoming a digital presenting expert. She recently lectured at Idea World Convention on the science and application for building relevant assessments, and we're going to dig into that today. If you haven't seen some of the lively and interesting content she puts on social channels, be sure to look her up. Her posts are totally engaging, a lot of fun, a little crazy, but always educational and motivational. Let's jump right in so you can get a good dose of Joanne Groves to fill your motivation bucket today. Joanne Groves, welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show. I'm so happy you joined me today. Hello, Sandy. Really lovely to be here all the way from the UK. Isn't Zoom marvelous? Yes, it is marvelous. Joanne is joining us all the way from London town today. Um, thanks for hopping on at the end of your workday. Really appreciate it. No, I'm really excited to be here. It's a, it's a real privilege. Thank you. So to get things kicked off, um, for those who may not know your background in the fitness industry that well, if you would give us a high level overview of when and how you got started in fitness and how it led to the type of work you're doing today. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it really stems with, I have to blame my dad. He was a boxer and he came from a family of cyclists. So health and fitness was always part of my life. Uh, but at that time, I was convinced I was going to be a young actress. And so everything I did was in pursuit of being an actress. But I soon realized in order to have money whilst I was studying, I needed a job. So I got myself a job as a receptionist. And I soon thought, you know what, I could do those classes. And uh, I just loved sharing my enthusiasm and my energy and my entertaining, you know, sort of side of me. So um, that kind of started my love of being within the gym scenario. Mm -hmm. And of course, I pursued that and went on to be a personal trainer. But this was all alongside acting. And then when I graduated from drama school, I was working, but I still needed to keep that income coming. But it kind of switched in a way when um, I, I first presented back in 2001 in Australia, Filex and Network and FitPro. But in those days, it was Group X and I was presenting in the cycling arena and okay. loved that. Um, but I got back from there. I had my first child. My second child, that's when it all started to go a bit uh, a bit downhill. Uh, basically, I went out running. I still love my running. And I was halfway around and all of a sudden my knee started to hurt. And I had to sort of hobble back past a couple of clients. And, you know, you, you're trying really hard not to let the side down. I'm thinking, how can I be injured 
when I've done everything the, the industry has told me to do. You know, I was strong. I'd never had such a great six pack. Um, I was lifting heavy weights and I just thought, well, I can't understand it. So it was at that point that really I switched into education and my love of personal training mm. because I had to reevaluate the type of movement I was doing daily. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, as a lot of group exercise instructors know, we do a lot. So there's a little <laughs> bit of too much going on. Um, and then I remember I went to do this course and I was amazed. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And I always wanted to do the next course that was coming. And then something weird happened. Never happened before. Uh, John Hardy from Faster emailed me and said, oh, you know that course you did? Yeah, we were wrong. And I was like. What? What? <laughs> what? What was the course? Do you remember? Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go too much into it because um, some of these techniques are still used. But at that time, I was like, first of all, does that mean I have to spend another two and a half grand on re-educating? Because I wanted to make sure that I was doing the best I could. And then at that point, he said to me that something that was even worse and he said, you shouldn't just trust me. You've been in the industry now for over 15 years. I want you to have the tools to question me. Mm. And that was the start of me sort of uh, getting into research and really changing everything that I wanted to do. So in answer to your question, 1995, <laughs> a long time ago, <laughs> and I've seen lots of things happen and change, as I'm sure you have, you know, with the the little plastic shoe covers at the side of, you know, for slide, all of those things and the core boards. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, just so many changes, innovations. And then if you stick around long enough, like you and I have, you see that I stuff come, come you see it come <laughs> back <laughs> and used in, in new and different ways too. But sometimes it's it's being used the same way it, it was 20 years ago, which is, yeah. I think, pretty cool. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so I was checking out your website the other day, and um, I have to say that the four elements of your philosophy made me smile. The first two are fun and family, and the second pair are research and goal-driven. Could you please share some details about how you chose each element and why you think those resonate with clients? Sure. Um, anyone that's putting a website together or a mission statement knows how difficult it is to be summed up by four words. And I was so close to having play as opposed to fun. Mm -hmm. And contextually, all these things mean something different to each individual. But because my background was in entertaining, I've always loved comedy. To me, I always want the client to want to come back. That's the most important thing. And so I wanted them to know from the very beginning that it was going to be an experience that they'd want to repeat. So fun. That's what I came up with, just to sort of take away that scary bit to it. Uh, it doesn't mean there might not be some dark places in there. <laughs> and but fit fitness should be fun. You know, yeah. move, movement should be fun. Otherwise, people aren't going to come back. They're going to feel like it's a chore. And so if they don't leave your studio or your presence with a smile on their face feeling great, then I don't know if we're doing our jobs, right? Absolutely. And I have to say, I had a client the other day that came in and, um, well, I, I went over to him. And uh, he, I think he's a member of 
royalty, but not here, let's just say. And so I was, I was sort of taken in by his guards and all of this. And he is the most lovely gentleman normally. But on this day, he wasn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and as I walked in, he just sort of grunted at me, you know, and I was like, right, okay, this is where we are today. So I just started off no fun and games and like, let's just go, right, we'll do this, do that. And then gradually I started to change the mood and add a few more challenges and pushed him. And uh, he'd said, we're not going outside today. Um, but then after a few more exercises, I said, right, now we're outside. And he said, okay. <laughs> so then we started, uh, you know, doing some different tasks and, and then I got it really nasty and then we started to incorporate the things I knew he loved. And at the end of that session, one of the things he liked to do was to get to the point where he was just woof, you know. And uh, so he he kind of dropped to the floor and then he just looked at me and he went, I don't know what sort of voodoo stuff you've just done on me. He said, <laughs> but I now have to go and apologize to my family. And I was like, yes. And that's fun factor. <laughs> you helped set his mind right. That's awesome. Yeah. And we, you know, we're so lucky. So, um, and then family and family is because um, my clients are family to me, you know, um, that divide between family and friends. Um, I go out with my, my clients, you know, so uh, to me, they are family, but that also means that I can be nice, Joe. I can be inspirational, supportive, Joe, but I can also be tough love, Joe. <laughs> uh, and so that's, you know, the art of a good mum. And then, research as i've already mentioned that's a big passion of mine because at first i thought that that was only for the academics but mm. when i thought about you know who would i want personal training my mum would i want anybody that's going to make it up and like the answer to that is no so i want the person that will go to the research that won't cut corners that will do the very very best for the person in front of them mm -hmm. And then the last one is goal. And I think this can be missed so often. Uh, and it's essential that we find out what the client's true goal is, which might not be what they initially say. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> as you get to know people, they, they may say they want to lose weight, but really, maybe they just want to feel better, move better, have more energy, things like that. And so it, it you know... That's why they call it personal training. We spend time with these folks, get to know them, and really come to understand, you know, what what they're after, um, what's yeah. going to help optimize their life, um, you know, why they're spending money to come to you. Um, in in our pre-interview prep, you mentioned that you felt putting the client's goals first was critical, um, and I know it that sounds kind of simple, simple, but. If you could elaborate on this thought and share how you think we can all do a better job of that. Absolutely. And it is one of those things that initially we think is so simple and I'm still learning and I'm still taking myself out of my comfort zone and doing lots of different things to help me learn how to listen, you know, how to listen, not just to what somebody says. Uh, but their body, the way they respond, the way their breath changes, the way they lean in, the way you say something and they lean out, all of those things are getting to know your client and finding mm -hmm. out their goal. But what I loved, Sandy, was what you just said as well, that most people might say they want to lose weight or or they want to you know, gain muscle. But let's go with the, the weight loss. And um, 
in a lot of basic education, that will be where we stop. Oh, great. They've said they want weight loss. Let's go and design this program. But what I want to know, first of all, is why is weight important to you? Why is losing weight important? And just let the client sit with that. Because sometimes they might have booked a personal trainer just because Jane's got one and everything that Jane does, they want to do too. They don't really know why they're there, um, but they think that you think they might want to lose weight. So that's the first thing they're doing to try and connect with you. And it might not be their goal at all. Or it could be that they've had a child and the last thing they actually want to do is lose weight, but they just want to speak to a human being that's <laughs> older than four months is not going to just gather at them, you know. So, and and that's very different. And so the program would look totally different. But basically, they might have a revelation when they come in that they think their goal is weight loss. But as you say, why is that important? They'll go, well, you know, I've got this wedding, and you can go and say, well. Um, have you ever not been invited to a wedding because of your weight? <laughs> I'm sorry, Sandy, you can't come <laughs> to this wedding. Right. Um, that's that's not a reason. Um, and at that point, it gets real. Yeah. So up yeah. until this point, all they've actually given you is their extrinsic reasons for doing that goal. So the carrot. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, late at night when the cheese is calling from the fridge... <laughs> The carrot's not enough, right. and that's when you need the intrinsic motivation or mm -hmm. inspiration. Um, and so that's where I say, well, what if you never lose that weight? Then what? Right. So part um, of part of getting to the to the root of these the goals, like the initial goals that clients come in with, um, we have to practice some motivational interviewing techniques to elicit that information to get to the core of why they're there or why they keep coming back and um, and then use that information to progress them. Yeah, some people do use uh, motivational techniques. And this is slightly different because what I'm doing here is, um, and, and motivational interviewing is great, but the, we call this why, why, so, so. Mm. And uh, once we've got to that, so I'm, I'm letting them breathe and have that space to tell me what it is. And normally when you get to the so what, you know, that's when they either say, I lost my mum, you know, when she was 42 mm -hmm. and I'm 41 and I, I want to be able to be with my kids. I want to see them walk down the aisle. Now that's real. And that's a <laughs> moment. Um, so I have to be careful where I do this, because if I take my clients to the same coffee shop, people think I'm awful because they just cry. And then... <laughs> But it's at that moment that you know you've got that real reason, that real goal. But also because, you know, if the goal is actually about, you know, I don't feel like I'm strong enough or I don't feel like um, I'm going to be around to see my kids, that's not a beating them up type program. That's a nurturing them program. That's showing them everything that they're capable of doing mm -hmm. and guiding them through. You know, the most important thing about our training session, they want to come back. Uh, so that's why fun's important. They want to come back and then we can put everything else they need within that program in there, but get the consistency in. Um, and so I, I, I do think that's something that we could do better. I've stolen loads of things from the world of dance and acting uh, to help me in that and do improv and stand up comedy to help. 
Yeah, we're, we're going to get to more of that when we talk about your social media feeds. But um, yeah, that's going to be fun. I wanted to, um, and those are all really great points, Joanne. Thank you for sharing those uh, insights from your own practice. Um, I want to revisit um, about a year ago, you initiated a really great discussion with me about so- how scientific evidence evolves and how we should remain open to layering on to past knowledge with new research outcomes. Um, we, we were on a Zoom call, I think, for about an hour, just um, going down rabbit holes with this, but, and it was great. But if you would walk us through your approach to this and then speak to ideas of how we all can stay more open to new ideas that both advance our knowledge base and um, and that of our clients. Absolutely. Well, I mean, these were big components of both the talks that I did at Idea World because it is so essential to everything. Um, I was the person that, you know, my degree was in basically fancy dress. You know, I just was dressing up as different characters. <laughs> so the academic stuff wasn't my thing. And so I thought, well, I just leave that to the academic people, those clever people. But as I said, when I was kicked off the edge of the cliff and realized I had to stop watching TV and actually try and learn how to do it, I needed something to help. Uh, and so I wanted to share that with other people. And, um, You know, it's interesting because I used to think that the research changed, the science changed. But, you know, uh, when we found out that the world wasn't flat, it wasn't that it suddenly changed. We just suddenly asked better questions. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're doing. And so we do have to try and remain humble and remove any emotional attachment that we might have to a technique. And I've loved the technique uh, in the past. But now having this process, it means that I can let go of those strings and my business is not evolved around, you know, um, putting everything into a technique or a way. But in order to do that, the first thing is um, everything's evidence-based. And so it's a big buzzword. You know, every every bit of kit that comes out, every education provider will say, well, it's evidence-based. Well, it is, um, but it's still evidence-based if your dad told you that the tooth fairy exists, the evidence is from your dad. So we need to check what that source of evidence is to start off with. And I don't know whether you uh, were in the session at this point, but something we use at Faster is our underpants. And I know I have to explain this to the US because in the UK, we call them underpants. Um, but uh, I think you call them, it. I don't mean the trouser pants is what I mean. I mean the undies. Uh, And so if you imagine a pair of underpants and uh, you've got the opening to start off with, and this is where you need to read everything. And the reason for that is I want to know if my client has been uh, looking at Instagram and they're looking at social media posts. Uh, You know, I want to know where they've got their information from, whether it's good information or not. So I want to know. I want to read scientific blogs and I want to look at all their references Mm-hmm. And I want to go and look at those journals. But then I need to go and look at journals. And the hardest part is getting the question that's relevant to the client. But so now let's imagine we've got our pants and it's stuffed full of all this information that we've read. And we now need to have a line that we will accept as being the level of research that we take. Uh, and so for me, that level is it needs to be an impact factor of about a three, which doesn't sound very much, but in our fitness industry, it is still quite young. 
and that's still quite good. So for sure. a fitness paper, they, the impact factor is the um, the number that a journal is given by how many times it's been cited um, and the better the study is. Now, it's not the be all and end all before all the academics start writing into the show going, it's not everything. It's not. It's just a small part of the puzzle, but it helps someone who's a non-academic sports scientist to help filter through. Um, so that's a good guide. So I have, the, I have a quick question on that. Yeah, sure. Um, so is the, the scoring a rubric that you've come up with, or is it something that is out there and existing? It's out there and existing, um, and it's from Reuters. And sometimes we don't know the exact formula. And that's why I say it's not the be-all and end-all. But the higher that number is, the higher trust we can have for the journal. But the journal is the big magazine where we're reading the article. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like saying that, you know, we we read an article from the idea magazine and then we look at the quality of the whole magazine. So that's the impact factor given to that journal. Okay, great. And then the other things that we do is we go, because as I said, non-academic, I need help. Otherwise this will take me all my time and I'll never trade any clients. So now I filter out, was it done on humans? So I don't want it on pig spines or um, rats or cockroaches um, or guinea pigs. I think we mentioned that on pelvic floor. There's a lot of research done on guinea pigs and men. Um, uh, I need to make sure that the size of the study is robust. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that it's about 100 people. You know, a lot of studies that get quoted, you you look at it, it's like it's done on 12 people. Mm -hmm. I mean, really? Um, uh, we need to make sure that the author is relevant. Uh, there's a lot of research going around with rugby in the UK about collisions. And one of the research papers I was looking at was actually written by a doctor of sexually transmitted diseases. And I'm like, red flag, <laughs> red flag. And it turns out her son got injured in rugby, but it's not relevant to the topic. So these things are just a guide and, you know, this is something that takes about three weeks in my mentorship program. And we try to sort of rush into uh, a section. So there is a lot to it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll that- add one more thing that, that we look for when we're sorting yeah. through research to publish in Fitness Journal. It's, um, you know, who, who paid for the study? Was it sponsored? Because often, you know, the results are somewhat biased because, you know, a, a food board or someone else may have put money toward the research. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing from there, though, is once you've got that line, you can't deviate from it. If you're going to change anything, raise it. Mm -hmm. But the moment you then say, but in my personal experience, you've just gone down the rabbit hole and now I can't trust what you say. Because if I'm saying I work from a place of here on my research, but you know, this happened to me or this happened to my client, I'm now going story and that's not the same. So you either need to say, this is a story, this is an N equals one, um, uh, this is not scientifically, you know, it's not gone through the rigor of science. So that's an important thing as well to help trainers. Absolutely. So you you mentioned that you 
presented some of these ideas to um, the lecture you did at Idea World, which was titled The Science and Application of Building Relevant Assessments. And I know it was a two-hour presentation, but again, from a high level, what were the main ideas you presented in addition to what you just told us about? And um, I'm curious as to how the attendees received the information, like what kind of questions were they asking? You know, were they struggling with anything? Um. It was a lot for them to take in, for sure. I had a few more questions after the event when they'd gone away and digested some of the information. Um, but the, I mean, the real talk in itself was to discuss what assessments are, where their place is, and how important they are. Um, you know, from very first, you know, filtering out whether we should even be working with our clients, whether we need to refer out because of any injury. Um, anything medical that, you know, is is out of our scope of practice. So that would be the first part. Then that undercurrent behind every single assessment, which should be the SMART goals, making it specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. Um, and that's really, really important. And then we discussed that there are really only three types of assessments. So first of all is your academic assessment. So this will be the clever people, the PhDs who come up with an idea and then they go away and they test it. And then hopefully they get funding. Um, someone else tests their idea as well. So that's the first part of it. And that can be really useful. And then we have our um, correlation. So that's in the, the sports field. So um, and our physiotherapy, things like that. And a lot of the time they'll take an academic paper um, and, you know, this might be something like a BMI, which is amazing at saving lives globally, but is not so great for our unique individual person. Um, you know, often I've had a client who has done incredibly well getting over eating disorders and then gone to see um, uh, Bupa here and to be told that they're obese and completely, you know, lose the plot. And it's purely because they're short and don't fit in to that size thing. So we have to be a little bit careful. That, that can be really crushing to a client to, you know, especially because if they're working so hard and they're on track um, with the goals that you you share with them. Yeah. Um, and then to be told that that's um, that's kind of a soul sucker. Yeah. But luckily, we could go through that, you know, this is what that test is like, and it's good for saving lives. It's not a bad test, but it's just not right for you mm -hmm. on that individual level. And, you know, I mean, it might be something like um, if you here in the UK to get into a rugby team, you might have to bench press 150 kg. So that would be a correlation test that they're using. Now, whatever the personal trainer's views are on whether bench pressing 150 kg will actually have any impact whatsoever on the way they play the game, doesn't matter. You've got to make sure that your client can pass that assessment. And so you'd need to make sure that the program reflects that and the assessment reflects that. And then the third one, which I'm super excited about, uh, and that is the trainer-defined assessment. And that's where, you know, because I, I love training my clients. I love taking them through that experience. And at first, I'm like, oh, assessment. And I know it has to be done, but it's like, it's hard work. You know, if you've got a sure. sporting athlete and you're asking them to perform at their very best level, it's not very nice. And if you've got Elaine 
who's you know just plucked up enough courage to come into the gym and you're saying right now we're going to do an assessment and I'm going to push you until you feel horrible it's like (laughs) ah that's not really the way that I wanted that first experience to go but however what I can do is I can then design a goal with my client that reflects what they want and I can then coach them through that assessment and get their best performance from them. So we really looked at what the assessments are capable of, what the downsides are and what they don't do. Um, and so so some of the questions there were, I had a really good one, which was a, a lady who had a client who um, couldn't lift her arms above her head and should she do the overhead squat? Now, we all know that the overhead squat is great. It could be telling us that they've got a tight adductor, a weak glute, could be. It could be that they're really good at tennis and their skill allows their foot to collapse early. It could be that they've just seen someone who's really attractive over on the side (laughs) (laughs) and they've just started to look in. So you have to be careful. Um, But it does, all of these movements, they allow us to predict and see movement. But her client couldn't get her hands above her head, didn't want to do an overhead squat. So should she do that assessment? Um, And we just we discussed that and there were way better assessments for her. What she wanted was to feel strong. So I said, well, find out what strong is to her, because strong to me, strong to you might be two completely different things. Mm -hmm. So to her, it was a press up. And so I said, there you go. So now you can make it specific, you can make it measurable and, and you can comment that down and then you can reassess it. So you've got something that's more specific to that client. I love it. So uh, following on this whole topic of assessments, I've I've heard from a lot of owners and directors that they're having a really tough time finding young trainers who understand the art of assessment and then connected to that, um, how to program accordingly accordingly for their unique clients. Um, I mean, it may be different in the UK and Europe, but this is what I'm hearing um, with a lot of US owners and directors. What do you think is going on here? And how can we strengthen these fundamentals um, and the way we teach them to fit pros? Well, I think that's what's great about IDEA is because you bring so many different educators together that we can start to learn from each other. And I still believe that as educators, the first thing we need to do is say, if our students are struggling, we need to find out why, and we need to raise our level of helping them. Because um, if not, you know, it's not their fault if they're not able to do that. And I think some of the basic qualifications don't allow you to think. Uh, So you're, you're following a generic assessment without making it specific to that client. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and we really need to make sure that yes, we're getting the data, but the data specific to what the client's goal is, and then from there, giving them the tools to go to the research and look for the very best way of putting that program together. Because at the end of the day, Sandy, our job is quite easy. You know, client comes in, a they either want to lose weight, we get twelve weeks, make sure that as long as they're in a calorie deficit, we give them the right amount of load volume and intensity and 12 weeks later bosh job done and if they come in and they want to um, get bigger they want hypertrophy uh, well then calorie surplus Mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that we're hitting high threshold motor units 
Uh, we've gone to the research. We're giving them the right amount of load and volume. We do need to check their genetics, uh, check mum and dad for, for what their possibilities are. But 12 weeks later, we should have that result, but we don't. And, and that's because along the route, what we have to do is navigate through the things that come in a way. So it might be lack of inspiration, it might be an injury, it might be pain. Um, and what I saw through lockdown was that trainers were only able to train their clients if they had all the kit. And the kit really is the icing on the cake. And, and what it's telling me is they don't have enough confidence in seeing movement in so, biomechanics. Pardon me, Joanne, when you say kit, you mean all of the tools and goodies and, you know, yeah. vipers and stuff. Which, which are all fabulous. Um, but if you are relying on a tool to train your client, you're missing how you can improve movement. And so what we need to do is to go back and go, what is the goal? How can we improve that movement? Are we assisting the movement? Are we resisting the movement? Looking at the biomechanics, looking at the sequence of the movement. Once we know that and we understand the directional forces and the vectors, then we can use any piece of kit and we can load that movement and strip that back. If you're on Zoom and your client's in their kitchen and they have nothing, grab a tea towel mm -hmm. and let's play. You know, um, or don't have anything at all. And but I still want to get glutes. Well, that's good because I know biomechanics and I know if I want to lengthen that glute, I've got to get flexion, adduction and internal rotation. And if I want to get that glute even more excited, get it on one leg because now it's having to work harder. But now my client wants to work even harder than that. And I don't have anything else to add. So I can now jump. I can now jump, rotate and turn. So I can add this dynamic movement even over a screen without any tools. And I think if we can help our clients, our, our students to have this knowledge and to think about how they can put it together in that way that makes their client think, yeah, that was cool, then I think that would be more helpful. Really. And so the, the your best kit really is right up here. It's your knowledge base. It's it's just having the confidence in everything you've learned in your continuing education and your your fundamental trainings, um, and everything you've layered on since, and then just just going for it. Absolutely, you know. And I I want to try and help clients get away. When I say clients, students get away from just delivering hip flexion. So you know, because if we do see a program that's squats, lunges. You know, it's hip flexion, hip flexion, deadlift, hip flexion. You know, we want to be able to move people in as many different ways as possible so they have that skill to reduce that risk of injury. Yeah, so I'm going to switch gears here now and, and go into um, a conversation that we had in committee at Idea World. Um, we had several different conversations um, in our, our committee group, but one of the topics was on the, the subject of getting younger people interested in becoming fitness professionals. Um, I'm wondering, first of all, what you're seeing in your global travels as an industry sub subject matter expert, and then generally speaking in the UK and Europe, are you seeing younger people, um, specifically Gens Y and Z, um, engaged and interested in the industry? It's 
It's a great question. And I think that uh, we had a good conversation about how we're going to try and do this for sure. Um, recently, there was a convention here that did very well at it. They got um, influencers in and they got them to Portugal, a sunny resort with a beach. So I'm thinking, ha, huh, so maybe there's something there, you know, um, they are coming. But I did also have a conversation with my son and thought, right, you know, he's of that age. And when I got past the, I'm not going to your convention, <laughs> part of it, um, I said, but what would make you come, you know? And um, he, it was interesting what he said, because he trains and he loves the gym and he's, he's very interested in it. But he said, um, he would want some merch was his words. So some cool brands, you know, Stussy and things like that. And okay. and uh, so I was like, that's interesting. And then he also said, you know, I want it to feel like a festival. And that's what a lot of the, the younger generation are spending their money on. And obviously they've all been locked up in lockdown. And so it's it's new to them, they're coming back out. And so, you know, I guess it's like with our clients, with our students, we need to try and meet them where they are. So um, I haven't done strict research on this. So a little, <laughs> a little white flag on there. It's my son's opinion on it. But I thought we know that it was it was good what he said. Um, so maybe that's something to look at. I mean, obviously, the downside of some of the influences and the the information they're giving isn't always the best. So maybe we can help support some of the influencers to raise their standards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like the festival idea. It sounds like we we need to get Bruno Mars to come and perform to give it that festival feel. <laughs> But I'm thinking Freshers' Week as well, I, you know, because at the moment everybody's about to go to un- back to university. And so that first week is devoted to um, them coming back. And it's, you know, it's that party time and sort of how to make it that Freshers' Fitness Festival. There we go. <laughs> I love it. So, Joanne, one of the newer courses you're offering is focused pretty heavily on producing digital content, um, which we all know a heck of a lot more than we did in early uh, 2020 about. Um, In the course, you're teaching skills for launching a podcast, writing a web series, writing and filming longer video series, and improving online and live presentation skills. Among many other skills, fit pros may need to re- remain relevant. Can you tell us more about the genesis of the course and how people have responded to it? Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, I'm not alone doing it. <laughs> uh, I would need a team of people to help with that. So um, I have John Hardy, um, who's the founder of Faster. Um, he's also a comedian. Um, so he brings a lot of knowledge there. Um, and we also have uh, um, Mariano Damare, who is from Second City out in Chicago, and he's a film director. And uh, so to amalgamate all of those things, sort of my acting experience and professional background. Uh, but I never thought I would be doing something that actually required writing, because I think I spoke to you about that before. I, I like the talking bit, but the writing bit, <laughs> I'm just so, so you know, like I have to check and I still make mistakes because I just don't see them when I read them through. I'm, I'm dyslexic. But um, the, the great thing about this digital presenter course is that we meet weekly and 
we first of all find out what medium we want to use. And there's a lot of crossover, as you know, setting up your podcast. First of all, you need to sit down and you need to think about who's the audience, what do they want, you know? And one of the things is, if someone that didn't like you was listening to it, <laughs> how would they respond? That's always a little good check on anything you do, just to rewrite it through. Um, and to help people find their voice, because mm -hmm. some people can be really funny and really entertaining when they're in the pub. But as soon as you put the camera on, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so how we find that character and how we bring that to life consistently. So we're really finding confidence and um, consistency with your character and your voice. And so we split up into different areas and I help with networking and, you know, and it's a great talent of Amy's. Uh, she's always been incredible at, you know, opening up and collaborating with people. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember the first time I went to IDEA in Vegas and, you know, she said, oh, come to this meeting. And it's just so lovely. And I think that you know, those things people forget. So networking, we might be on social media and that's a great way of meeting and seeing and connecting with more people, but we have to follow that up. Uh, and so it, the course takes you through baby steps of mm -hmm. finding what it is that you want to portray on social media, who you want to reach, what you want them to get from it and then how we can bring it into all of those things. And obviously we, we story is a big part, but I don't mean just the narration of once upon a time, this, this did this, this did that, but the connection with emotion. So the highs, the lows, um, Stranger Things does it really well. If you've watched that one minute, you go, ah! <laughs> and then you're <laughs> laughing and then ah! again. So bringing that into everything that we do. Yeah, it sounds like a super fun course. And um, can listeners find that on your website if they're yes. interested in learning more? Yes, yes, they can. And I'm always doing testers as well, little tasters, teasers on um, female fitness trainers as well. So uh, sorry, no men on that one, though. Um, <laughs> that's just purely for the females. Uh, so yeah. Okay, great. Um, and we'll give that information um, in the show notes. And Joanne will uh, give a, a couple of points of contact at the end of the podcast. Um, also, I mentioned earlier that your social feeds are super robust. They see a lot of action, um, including a lot of posts that go viral. You see, seem to really have this dialed in. And I think it's, you know, it's so fun to just get on there and see, oh, what costume is Joanne wearing today? Or what crazy dance or thing is she doing? Um, <laughs> what are some of your favorite tips and techniques that that you can share with uh, fit pro colleagues who want to up their game in social? Um, one of the big things is that I see a lot of repetition. So it, it can be quite cliche, you know, uh, so try and stay away from cliche, but be authentic. So, you know, if you're seeing 472 squats <laughs> on your feed, don't do another squat, do something different, you know, um, but but it comes back down to who you are as a person, what you want people to take away from that, but don't make it too complicated. Um, I'm a, a character, if you like, when I'm on social media, 
So one, if someone's arguing with me, it's a bit like when I was an actress, they're not arguing with me, really. It's Joanne's social media character, um, which is great <laughs> because it means that I don't have to get emotionally distressed um, if someone has had a go at me. Or, that, um, that is a great tip. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people just take that stuff to heart and, you know, walk around with a storm cloud over their head because somebody on social didn't, you know, question them or didn't like something. I think that is such a great tip. I love that. I'm going to use that. I mean, it's always good to take feedback and listen to things, but when it's a character, you can step back. And we use that all the time in personal training as well. You know, mm -hmm. if you were this um, character from a film who's got an amazing serve and the cameras aren't quite on you, just go for it. And it just suddenly removes all that ego um, that stops someone performing. So, you know, so that, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, authentic, be authentic. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you start trying to be funny, it's not so funny. Um, you know, so so follow your heart. I think I would love to say do this, do that, do this. But all of these social media platforms are changing their algorithms the whole time. So just as you think you've got it sorted, whew, they've just pulled the rug from <laughs> under your feet and we've got to start again. Um, but Facebook's only getting about three percent of use. Um Instagram is 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 okay, uh, but TikTok currently is where it's at, and people are buying from TikTok. So again, that brings it back to your question: Where do we find the younger generation? Well, they're there, and also, even if you are as old as me at fifty, uh, fifty-year-olds are rocking it on TikTok. So don't be intimidated by your age. Um, I wanted to bring something though for today, especially for the listeners. Um, and uh, so the new thing on TikTok currently is SEO. So they're going head to head with Google. So before people would be getting a lot of views on their posts, um, but they've just changed the algorithm. So now go in with the how to improve your deadlift, uh, how to create mobility in your hips, you know, uh, the how to question. Think about a question within your niche and go into the little search part, type it in and see what comes up. But that's how you can, at the moment, get ahead of the trend. That might change next week, but get there quick. So, yeah, <laughs> so using those those keywords or those hot buzz phrases that a lot of people are looking at, um, pay attention to that stuff and then optimize your own post with, with a, a title that matches or is even better. Absolutely, yep. Put the um, the words in your post as well on that yep. video at the front. Do you do you have to like put a symbol around them or anything, or they just they'll just show up because they're in your post and they're in your your title? Yeah, so you can just use the um, the lettering section and you just write it on the front of the post. You can decide how long you have it in there for, and then also put that in the little comment with your tags. Got it. That that. That is such a great tip. Thank you for sharing that. Um, incredibly, we need to sign off today. But um, if you could first, um, as promised, if you would let listeners know how they can get in touch with you and find out more about your courses. So share your social handles, your email, your podcast, your website. Um, and I will put those in show notes too, but if you'll do it verbally here. And then after that, if you'd leave us with a parting thought that shares your experience for finding longevity and success as a fit pro. 
Thank you. Yes. Okay. So first of all, uh, email me on joanne at fasterfunction.com. Um, Instagram, I'm Joanne Groves, but the O of Groves is a zero. Everything else, I'm Joanne Groves, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. So you can find me there. Um, and so words of wisdom. And I think the top thing would be uh, to get yourself a, a mentor because that's something that I still have a mentor and, you know, um, buckets need to be full and we need to take those buckets from different areas. So definitely get yourself a mentor and make sure it's not just in one area. Um, And what I'm saying in that is that we do have to build content. We do have to be aware that our marketing needs to be there. But remember, uh, your product is most important. So if you put a filter on, you'll get lots of dates, but you won't get a repeat relationship because <laughs> you turn up and you haven't got bunny ears. Um, and that's the same with if we if we are on social media and we get a new client, if our product isn't up to standard and isn't delivering above and beyond expectation, we're going to be missing out on referrals and repeat business. Mm-hmm. So product is essential. Um the social media is important because it does tell tell people where you are. It's like the pizza leaflet that just keeps coming through. Uh, people might just scroll past. You might think they're not looking. But that day where they go, do you know what? After one hell of a summer, I want a personal trainer. And then they suddenly remember, oh, yes, I remember that trainer. And they come to you. So, so eventually, uh, eventually they order the pizza. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. They go, where was it? Or oh, it's under the chair leg or it's in the bin. Um, but now it's become useful. So get a mentor, um, invest in yourself. Um, remember that your product is, is essential. Deliver above and beyond expectation. And then finally, yes, make sure that you're everywhere. So they know constantly being nudged towards you. Absolutely essential. And those are wonderful words of wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for spending part of your day. You're going into your evening um, with me. It's been it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lovely time. Ah, cheers. Thank you. Bye. Well, that wraps our time with Joanne Groves. If you liked this interview, please check out the 60 plus additional IdeaFit Pro Show episodes we have banked on IdeaFit.com and on most platforms that host podcasts. Also be sure to search Idea's vast library of courses we've produced to help support your continuing education. These convenient contemporary courses by top subject matter experts from around the world can be counted toward your ongoing CECs and certification renewal. IdeaFit Plus members get unlimited access to the courses and CECs as part of their membership plan. Check it out at ideafit.com. This is Sandy Webster signing off. I hope you have a wonderful week. And as ever, thank you for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place. Please reach out to me or the content team at content at ideafit.com if we can help you with anything. The IdeaFit Pro Show is part of the IdeaFit Podcasting Network. Many thanks to our executive producer, Jordan Leeds, and our engineer and editor, Mike Hilding. Copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Reproduction without permission is strictly prohibited.